Father, as your word says, we are to approach you with thanksgiving and with praise. And we've given you the praise and we've told you thanks repeatedly this morning. And we ask, Lord, just for your presence, not just the praise and the prayers, but we ask that you would be here, that we would experience you. And not in a a weird way that some people think you can be experienced, but we ask that you just minister to our hearts, speaking on the inside, that what your word says would resonate with us to where we could say amen. And we would not forsake your teaching, for it is life. So, Father, please guide and direct in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, imagine for a moment you have a little toddler. If you want to get the toddler's attention and you want them to stop on a particular behavior, do you turn to them and say no once? Normally, it's three, four, six, seven times. No, 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 like that. Or, uh, being an employer, uh, in the past I've had several employees teaching somebody who is young how to work. That is always an adventure because you might explain something and then you find yourself going back and explaining the same thing. And you might do it a third time And even a fourth time, having to remind them of what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to carry out their job. Jesus, the Lord God, has done this in Scripture. Have you ever thought about how many verses repeat themselves? Last I checked, at least one person said there were 235 verses in the Bible that repeat themselves. They're said over and over. Now, That is done for emphasis. Not only is there 235 verses according to this individual, but there are numerous parallel accounts of stories, stories that are the same in the Old Testament and there's the same in the New Testament, let alone between the Gospels, between what is in the New Testament itself and just what's between the Old Testament itself. There are parallel examples in both. The reason is for emphasis. The Lord wants us to get it. How many times do you have to tell a toddler not to do something? How many times do you have to instruct an employee what to do? How many times does the IRS have to come along and say, pay your taxes? You know, all of these things are repetitive. I think it was Billy Graham who said, how do you remember what you're supposed to do in the Bible, the scripture? How do you remember that? Well, repetition, number one. The second one is repetition and the third one is repetition that's why jesus gave us six parables after we have gone through matthew chapter 24 he has laid out six parables for us and he wants the message to get across how we're supposed to react to what we have learned in matthew chapter 24 and All of them are in Matthew 24, except for one, which is in Mark chapter 13. So with that, just by review, I've already given you two of them. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 43, I let you guys know we are to be expectant. It says, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have let not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. And that's what you would want to underline, circle, draw arrows to, and put stars around. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect him. So I gave you the exhortation, be expectant. He's coming, and we're supposed to anticipate that he's coming. The second one was to be diligent, as well as be expectant. But this is to be diligent. 45, verse 45 says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time and he... 
then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on the day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him off to pieces, or cut him to pieces, and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as servants, we're to be diligent to carry on with the task that the Lord has given us. So number one, be expectant. Number two, be diligent. And these are parables which are given to us. Now, this, this has to do with reward and punishment. And we understand that the Lord is coming soon. Even from the perspective of Paul and John and the gospel writers, Jesus, they were expecting him just very soon to come back. And now it's been over 2,000 years and he's still not back. And there are certain qualifications from scripture that had to be met and they didn't quite put those things together. That's why Daniel says in the end times, knowledge will increase. It will increase according to the scriptures, on prophecy specifically. We will have information to gather that we will look through the lens of scripture and we will say, wow, that was already talked about and it has come to pass. That's usually how we recognize that God is speaking. Something comes to pass, we look at scripture, well, there it is right there. It's right there in the pages that we have. And so we understand that the imminent return of Christ, it's, it's right here. It's not something that is delayed and in the next chapter, we have three illustrations, three more illustrations, to be expectant and to be diligent. Now, I want to pick those up. And by the way, all of these three in Matthew chapter 25, these three uh, stories that we have, these three parables, they are in the context of the kingdom of heaven, which is in Matthew 24. And so it's going to add a lot of meaning. If somebody just takes this out of context, they will misinterpret it. For instance, we're going to read through the ten virgins in a moment. But I want to give you the description of some false teaching on this that was actually for a while at Dallas Theological Seminary. And it's called the Free Grace Movement. That, that's there, a couple of guys that headed that up. But there's this idea of Christians. There are some who are worthy and some who are not worthy. And it describes these ten virgins which are here, and five were wise, and five were foolish. And when the wedding time came, the marriage supper of the Lamb, so to speak, the five virgins that were wise had extra oil for their lamps. Now, it would have been kind of a torch. It would have had a cup on it of some kind, and they would have kept on pouring oil in it to make sure they could light their path, because back then they didn't have street lights. If the moon wasn't up, it could be pitch black. The darkness was just thick. Uh, at night, if you're out in the wilderness, if you've ever gone backpacking up in the high Sierra, you know what that darkness is. You really can't see anything. And so these ten virgins, the five wise, the five foolish, the ten virgins go into the wedding banquet and the five others who are foolish, they are delayed. And therefore, when they get to the gate, when they get to the doors, they are not let in. And Jesus says, I never knew you. But both of them are virgins. And so they incorrectly have said, well, that means there's some believers who get into the marriage supper of the Lamb, and they get all the blessing of that, and then there's five who don't. They're not as worthy. And that immediately would refer somebody to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that we're not saved by works. We also don't get our blessings according to our works. God has ordained us to do works ahead of time, and we get rewarded for those works. So that's certainly true. But if we do a work, God is not obligated to turn to us and say, Oh, I have to give you this because you did that for me. That's not how it works. And so God blesses us in spite of who we are and in spite of what we do. So it's an incorrect doctrine to say the five foolish versions were more blessed than the five non-foolish or the foolish and the uh, unwise. Those two, they separate. And I want to tell you just before we get into this, this is dealing with believers and unbelievers. And in some respects, it's dealing with the Jews and the church. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, it says, At that time, what time? Referring to Matthew 24, 
The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also, or excuse me, later the other also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And the operative words there are keep watch. Sometimes we get into these stories and we make a lot out of it. We start to dissect what's there. Who are the ten virgins? Who are the foolish and the wise? What about the kingdom of heaven? Who's the bridegroom? What is the oil? What are the lamps? What is the banquet? You know, there are some answers to all of these, but we don't want to be too focused. It's like you don't see the forest through the trees. You're looking at all the trees and you're not finding the whole message that is there. And the whole message is keep watch. That's what we're supposed to be paying attention to. And how do we keep watch? We watch world events. Remember last week I talked about the politics is what surrounds the scripture. Satan is working in the political world to get what he wants. And I explained a little bit about that last time. If the election had not gone the way it was, we would be well on our way to the fulfillment of what is in here just because of the political views of those who are, quote-unquote, the globalists. Now, you might say, you're getting awful political, aren't you? This stuff is what points to the Scripture. And I just hold to the morality. You know, when I talk about um, voting... And I do talk about voting. The reason I talk about it is because there are moral issues at stake. Things that we would vote somebody in and they would pass some legislation that would either be moral or immoral. In times past, have we had people pass laws that have been completely immoral? Yes, there are. I mean, look what we're battling with today in our society, and that's where the spirit of Antichrist resides. He resides in the power that is in the world, and that's in the governments of the world. That's where he resides. And the Lord comes back, and when he comes back, he's going to restore righteousness. And there's only a few countries that actually operate by biblical principles. And those that do are hated by the rest of the world. Let me ask you this. For the most part, is the United States loved or hated by the, yeah, by the rest of the world? What about Israel? Are they loved or are they hated? We're their only friend, pretty much, that's there. And there's this movement to divest everything from the nation of Israel. And we forget the promise, the moral promise in the Old Testament that Abraham received. Those who bless you will be blessed. And those that curse you will be cursed. And so as a country, if we start turning against Israel, I believe that will be fulfilled. If we curse Israel, we ourselves will be cursed because they are the apple of his eye. That is why we pay attention to everything that's going on around us. That's why we, as the ten virgins, keep watch. We are aware of what's going on. We don't stick our head in the sands. We make sure that we are up on the news. We make sure we're up on what's going on in our country and in our city. And in some cases, if we need to uh, activate ourselves and go maintain righteousness in some way, we do that. So uh, going on from there. Now, this does refer to both believers and non-believers. The five foolish virgins, they were unbelievers. Now, I think one connection that can be made is that there would be foolish and wise in any church. So you might have those that they have said the prayer, they attend church on a nominal basis, 
but they're really not those who are prepared. They don't have their lamps in their hands or sitting right next to them with a jar of oil ready to go. And it has been said in the past that the oil is the Holy Spirit, where the foolish virgins, they didn't have the oil that they needed. And so the Holy Spirit, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. You see how they could make that connection in the commentaries that are out there. That's one way that they present it. But this is a message to us to be prepared for the day of reckoning. Now, this would be first for the Jews. If you go to uh, look at the Old Testament, the Jews are called the wife of God. In the New Testament, the church is called the bride of Christ. Now, when we go to heaven before the second coming, there is going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. But there is also going to be a feast at the second coming. And it talks about that in Scripture. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. But it's the wife of God. Israel is going to be restored at the end of the tribulation period. In Israel, as I told you before, Ezekiel 37, David is going to be their king. He's going to be resurrected as well. All the righteous from the Old Testament, they will be resurrected and they will inhabit Israel. And God's going to throw a party there because it says marriage supper of the Lamb. It's like there's two parts to it. There's one for the church in heaven and there's one when Jesus Christ comes back here to earth because Israel is the wife of God. And so there's going to be a celebration there. So first for the Jew... This is a warning that there are Jews who are also just walking around. Where's the promise of his coming? We don't see that. We're not prepared. We're not looking for that. We're involved in everything else inside the world. And basically, they are not paying attention. But there is going to be a remnant that is going to be saved. And they're going to go, as I discussed before, probably to Petra. But this also refers to the Christians. And it's referring to the Christians that would go through the tribulation specifically. Those who go through the tribulation, Christians, they're going to be saved. But there are those who are going to say, well, yeah, I'm a a believer. I remember once telling a family member about the mark of the beast in the tribulation. And they said, well, I just won't take the mark of the beast and everything will be fine. I said, no, that's not going to be the case. You have to follow Christ and repent of your sins. You still have to do that. Just because you don't take the mark doesn't mean you're not going to be judged for all of eternity. You have to give your life to Christ. And so now if you give your life to Christ and you don't take the mark, you're a shoe-in. If scripture says, if you believe, you're going to heaven. And so there's a warning for those who would be in the church at that time or those who would be believers at that time that they would, in fact, follow Christ, be aware, be watchful, and they will have the scriptures to guide them. What is it, 1,390 days, I think, in the book of Daniel? Uh, It says when Jesus Christ is coming back, and you can count from the abomination which makes desolate, he will be back by that time. And so they're going to be watchful. And if there are people in, quote-unquote, the church that are going, ah, I'm just trying to survive out here. For me, I, I think I've mentioned this before. I think I would line up and say, I'm not getting the mark of the beast. You might as well take off my head now. Guess where I go if that happens, if I'm here? Of course, I'm not going to be here because I trust in Christ. But if I was here, I would immediately go, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, to be under the altar in heaven, and God is going to resurrect my body, and I'm going to come back and rule and reign with him. And so it's all just a win-win, but we fear death, and we're not supposed to fear death. Death has lost its sting And so we're to walk through this life not worried about that. And we're supposed to fear that one who can take not only our physical life, but can cast the soul into hell as well. And that's just how the scripture lays it out. So we are to be ready. So there are foolish virgins out there and there are wise virgins. And it doesn't call them evil or good, but it's more like thoughtful and neglectful it's more like foolish and wise and so there are those who are going to be in any church and that's kind of the third aspect of this any church that come but they really haven't dove in and given their lives to christ now going on we have the talents here i i just looked this up again a talent of gold if um the way that they reckon gold today 
a talent of gold would be 1,400,000, and I think it was $116. That's one talent. So, as we read this, you can tell how much is given. Again, it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like, that's a simile that we're told about, a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. The one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also, the one who had two talents gained two more. Now, what kind of return is that? 100%. They got a 100% return. That's what Jesus got on his investment. In verse 18, But the man who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, in today's wages, $1,400,116. Just went and buried it. Didn't do anything with it. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the uh, other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is, what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents, for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, all of these parables are warnings, and they're warnings for us in the context of what's taking place in the tribulation period. And immediately thereafter. And so for us, what, well, what does this mean exactly? First, it would be for the Jew who's reading this, because Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, was written to the Jews. And what would it mean for them? It's like you're still, you're not getting it. You're not working for God. You're working for yourself. You're working for your own religious purposes. You're not really following what Scripture has to say. You have been given this trust. You have the very Word of God, and you're not putting it to use. They just used it for their own power. That's what they did. Now, inside the church, the context could be, there are those inside the church whom God has given talents. Now, a gift of God as compared to a gift from somebody here on earth, which do you think is more valuable? So if somebody gives you a million dollars here on earth, do you think one gift from God is worth more than that? What if you had the gift of healing? What if you had the gift of the discerning of spirits? Is that not more valuable than money? It is much more valuable than money. We have, our flesh has a tendency to say, well, what am I going to use that for? I can't go and invest that in the bank. No, it's for people. We invest in people so that the people receive Christ and get saved. Each one of us has a gift. Each one of us has something that is of tremendous value. Some people have been given several gifts, not just one, but everybody, I believe, has at least one. Now, if you look at the church today, people who were given five talents, who might those people be? 
maybe the Greg Lorries, if you know him, or the Billy Grahams of the world, those types of people, the men of old, men of renown that were the pastors, George Whitfield, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, all these guys, they have been given five talents. They, to whom much is given, much is required, and they did a lot. Martin Luther, he would have been one that had five talents. And so, well, who would have two talents? Well, it'd be those who didn't have a worldwide ministry, but their ministry was probably a little bit bigger, or they had a gift of healing, and they could actually go and heal people on the spot, just as it would be done in Scripture. People would be raised from the dead, and they'd probably be operating in obscurity somewhere. They wouldn't want the attention focused on themselves. They wouldn't use it for their own personal gain. Well, what about one talent? Who would that be? That would be everyone else. Everyone else has at least one talent or one gift. Now, I've gone through the gifts before. I am going to take you through Scripture and point out where they are, but each one of us has a talent. And do we take that gift and stuff it in our pocket and walk away and not use it? Or do we fan into flame the gift that we have been given? We know that the Apostle Paul told this to Timothy. Fan into flame the gift that you were given by the laying on of my hands. Now, if you've had a fire in your house, I'm not talking about where your house burns down. I'm talking about in a fireplace and that, that wood is burning there and you want to get it started. Usually you come up, you fan it or you blow on it and the embers start getting real hot and the rest of the wood catches on fire and it's like, ho, ho, it's, na- ho, ho, ho. it's nice and hot, right? Especially at Christmas time, it's great. And people come in and they feel the warmth and they feel blessed by you being there. And so we're supposed to use these particular gifts. Now, the gifts that are listed in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11, and you can just write these down to verse 8, excuse me, verse 11 through verse 13. And these are the, the office type gifts. It says it was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors, teachers, pastors and teachers. And so those are offices that God gives to people who are believers. Not everybody is a teacher. Not everybody is an evangelist. Not everybody is a prophet. Not everybody is an apostle. If somebody comes, I've told you this before, if they say they're an apostle, I don't think so. I don't see miracles following people around who call themselves apostles, so I would put that out. Pastors and teachers, yeah. Evangelists, yes. Prophets, there's two more showing up in the book of Revelation. And so I think it's still around for today, and people have the gift of prophecy. Nowhere in in Scripture does it say the office of a prophet starts, stops, takes a break, and starts again. I, I don't believe that. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, also lists some gifts here. Through verse 8, it says, For the, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body and many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others or the gift of giving, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And so those are a list of gifts right there that some of us in here have. Not everyone has every gift, but everybody has at least one gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. I know that when you were pagan, somehow... Or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. Now, to each one, this is why I believe each one of us have at least one gift, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to the common good. To one, there is given 
Through the Spirit, the message of wisdom to another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit to another, faith by the same Spirit to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another, miraculous powers to another, prophecy to another, distinguishing between spirits to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit and He gives them to each one just as He determines. And it goes on a little bit more. In that passage, if you were to go down to verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church of God, or God, excuse me, in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, and those having gifts of healings, those able to help others, and those with the gift of administration, those who speak in different kinds of tongues, and there are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. It says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. So what's the greatest gift you could ask for? You want to have an office? You want to be a pastor teacher? You want to be an evangelist? You want to be a prophet? Do you want to just have the gift of helps? What is it you want? God says we can ask for gifts. And we're to eagerly desire the greater gifts. But if you say, you know, I just want administration. That's, that's all I want. I don't want anything else. And you take that and you put it in your pocket. You don't put it on the logs and fan the thing into flame. You just say, I know I have this gift, but I'm not going to help out the church with that. I'm going to use it for my business. You see how that works? Everybody has a gift. But if we take that gift and we stuff it in our pockets, we are the one who received one talent and we are not using it. And we cannot judge you know, people how they use their talents, so to speak, because we can't see. We can't see the intent of the heart. We can see the outworking, the love that is expressed to everybody else, but we don't want to be that individual who is inside the church, who we were given a talent, a gift by God, a potential which is there, but we never fan it into flame. We never do anything. And those are those who are unbelievers. Unbelievers inside the church. All of these guys, they're servants of a master. But there are some servants who are wicked and lazy. The, the lazy one really got me. It's like, can you not stay awake and pray? <laughs> I'm tired. You know, I, I want to pray, but I'm kind of tired like Peter, you know. <laughs> the, the disciples, they all fell asleep. But, you know, it, it's, it's difficult for us to work at these spiritual gifts. We don't want to. If God comes to us and says, I'd like you to do this, whether it's, Go to Africa or go to your neighbor. No, I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to. No, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Do you think? I don't want to be too harsh. But do you think Christ was uncomfortable going to the cross? And if we interact with somebody, it's uncomfortable for us and we get nervous? I get it. I understand. I remember going out and evangelizing once and I was just as nervous as could be and my voice is shaking and how do I get this done right? And It's by fanning it into flame. You just keep on doing it. You keep on going out. And so again, this is a warning for us. This is at the end of time as far as this world and its system is concerned. There's a, after that a thousand year reign of Christ. But this is something that the Lord has warned us about, to be watchful, to be diligent, to be expectant. There's also a gift of craftsmanship. This is in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 35, verse 30, is given by the same Spirit. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic design, the work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers, and blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them master craftsmen and designers. Those are actually spiritual gifts. 
And you might think, well, I don't have a spiritual gift. Well, what can you do? I'm just a carpenter. Yeah? And? Well, I just sew. And? You know, that, that these are gifts that God has given to us, and we're supposed to exercise them, as you guys I know do. And there are several others. I have the gift of sweeping. Okay, go out and sweep as unto the Lord. That's like the gift of helps. I have the gift of cleaning with Clorox. Wonderful. Go out and clean with Clorox. It's just like the body. Every part of the body has a particular function. If my pinky, if I want to smell some lasagna, I don't go like this. I go, it's the nose. The nose has a specific task. Each gift that has been given has a specific task. And when we put all of those together, we are those who have received five or two talents. And the Lord gets a return. And so that's what we're supposed to be doing with the gifts that God has given us. And for those who don't, that think they are saved, they're probably not saved. And so this is where it requires us to do that self-reflection where we look inside. Has God ever asked you to do something? Do you have particular gifts and you've said no? Well, I would say first, you're probably just being disobedient. I'm not going to say, well, you're probably not saved then. I don't know that. I, I'm just supposed to encourage. And by the way, that is specifically spelled out in Scripture that I am supposed to, as the pastor, I'm supposed to train and encourage those who are in the church to love and good deeds. That's what I'm supposed to do, to train them for the works of service. And that means actually putting your hand to the plow. And remember, Christ told us anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back and says, I don't really like this following Christ thing, they're not fit for the kingdom. And so these are warnings that we're supposed to take to heart. And remember, fanning the gift of God into flame, Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Paul wrote to Timothy and says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. So Timothy was a young pastor. He was probably, well... I'm just this young guy, and I'm supposed to be going out there doing this pastoring thing and do the work of an evangelist. I don't know if I can do it. So he was timid, and Paul's saying, God has not given you the spirit of timidity. He's given you power and love that is sound and self-discipline. And so that's what we're supposed to do with our gifts. Now going on, the time of judgment here in verse 31. And by the way, if you can, as I go through, Pay attention to the pronoun I and you. See if you can see how many times they're listed here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Of course, this is a metaphor that's being used here. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king replied, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison? and did not help you he will reply i tell you the truth whatever you did not do 
For one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, were you able to count how many times you saw you and I in there? Well, I counted 27 times you is used, and 12 times the word I is used. Who do you think he's talking about? You and I. I mean, it's pretty obvious. In other words, God and me. God and you. That's who he's talking about. And so if we were like the first, the sheep, and we ministered to people that needed ministering to, and I mean those who are really in need. And again, I have a problem with enabling somebody who just wants to remain in their situation and it is a sinful place to be. Yeah, I'm, that's just me. That's just my heart. I, I told you when I was in seminary, I took this test. And I was right in the middle of every personality trait. is just wonderful. But when it came to mercy, they said, you might want to work on that a little bit. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to work on it. Really, I have. But I, I, I'm one of those guys that's like, just get a job. You know, and I'll help you get a job. But just get a job. Don't sit there and wallow in the mire. And, and that's what God is telling us. Go out and help those who need help. Don't just forget about them because if we do, we are helping Jesus himself and he will reward us. But if we see things like that, we decide, well, I'm not going to help. I'm not going to be a part of that. Well, okay. If we love God, we're going to love people. If we don't love God, we're going to hate people. Even First John says that. No man can say he hates his brother and loves God. The man is a liar. The woman is a liar who says that. And so the focus is on, again, the Jews. What? When did we see somebody that needed some help? You know, that type of thing. Well, there are plenty of people who were poor around the time of Christ, and so they would have understood this. In the church today, there are plenty of people who need some help, doing the actual works, the laboring for Christ. He says we're supposed to do that. If we have a gift, and like the gift of giving, and we can go help somebody, and we choose not to do it, we put it in our pocket, we don't fan it, we're called wicked and lazy. You see the exhortation that is here? Now, relate it, if you can, to military. Now, have you ever heard the kid's song, I'm in the Lord's Army? I'm in the Lord's Army. And you walk around and you sing that with the kids. We are part of the armies of the Lord. We are. Imagine if you were in the army. You guys, I'm not going to date myself here. Beetle Bailey? You guys remember that, right? Uh, and there, there was the private and the sergeant, and the private was getting it wrong all the time, and the sergeant was yelling and getting all mad, and that would be the Sunday morning cartoon uh, that you would get in the newspaper that would come across. And you guys who have served in the military, I'm sure you knew somebody that maybe even had rank that shouldn't have had rank, that was just lazy and wicked and probably going to get you killed. I think there was a movie made about a guy like that, Band of Brothers. There was a guy in that program. He was an officer, and he was probably going to get his whole platoon killed from the training that they went through. Imagine being in the military and being like a Beetle Bailey. I don't want to get up and march today. I don't want to train. I don't want to use my rifle. I don't want to go forward and take that hill. I just don't want to do it. Well... It's everyone's choice. We can choose to serve the Lord or not serve the Lord. You can always tell when somebody loves God. If they have their theology right, if, if they're not saying, well, I've got to do this because, you know, otherwise I'm going to hell. Now that's wrong theology. The theology is, Jesus did so much for me. How can I not do something for him? And we are motivated by the love of Christ not the condemnation, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, up to this point, oh, one other thing I wanted to say about this. There are those people who hold to universalism. Some of the people who are Quakers or the Friends Church, this is where everybody gets saved. It is clear from Scripture and the passages that we have here so far, not everybody makes it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, then broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. 
But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. First Chronicles 28, 9 says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him a wholeheartedly, uh, wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will f- be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And there are many other verses that talk about this. The sheep and the goats are going to be separated. Not everyone makes it. Matter of fact, more people don't than do. And because of the love of Christ, I am personally motivated to share my faith, to share the gift that God has given to me. And I I wasn't always a pastor, and I wanted to do it before I was a pastor. And so we are to be diligent. We are to be expectant. We are to be watchful. And we are to be servants. In Mark, if you turn over to Mark chapter 13, there's one more parable in this context, because remember, it's Luke 21, Mark chapter 13, and Matthew chapter 24 and 25 that all contain the context of the end times, the eschatology. In Mark chapter 13, verse 32, it says, No one knows about that day or the hour, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You see those things? Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, and when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. And what's the big word there? Watch. And so we're to be watching. Well, what do we watch again? The world, what the world is doing, how the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist is working in it, where the morality of the world is going, where the politics is going. We can tell that we're getting towards the end. And so we're to watch, we're to be expectant, we're to be diligent, we're to be servants, all of those things. And the person who says, no, I just want to listen. That's it. (laughs) The Lord says, don't. And by the way, I need to give you this parenthetical thought. There are always those who can't, for whatever reason. There are believers who are immobilized by some infirmity that they have. Maybe there's a a mental issue that prevents that. And God has grace for that person. They're simply believing in Christ for their salvation. That's all they can do. But anyone who is capable should never say, "Uh, no, I don't want to. Uh, No, I'm just going to hang out. Now, I don't say this, these things to you guys to give you this guilt, this burden to put on your shoulders because Christ died to set us free. It's the heart that needs to be checked. It's the heart that needs to be circumcised. Take off that old flesh, that old nature, and and say, I will follow Christ. I will fall in love with him. I will let the Spirit minister to my heart to motivate me to do the right things. But if we're motivated by condemnation, it's the wrong reason. It's like the person who gives money. You know, the scripture says, give it hilariously. Every time somebody walks out that foyer and drops something in the box, they should be going, (laughs) no, just kidding. That would draw attention to yourself. But we're supposed to do it, you know, with a a wonderful heart. I, I get to do this. I get to have fellowship. I get to minister to somebody. And if our heart says, no, I don't like people. I just keep them away from me they bug me if we're doing that it's not the spirit of god that's doing that it's the flesh on the inside so we're not to be motivated by guilt to do something guilt is good when we're doing something we shouldn't that's good to bring us back around but guilt and you're not performing something just you make the heart check lord am i doing what you want me to do And there is an emphasis in the church today sometimes of don't focus on what you can do for God. Focus on what God did for you. Well, of course, all of this is predicated on that. God did so much for us. Therefore, I will go do this because he asked. 
That's all the message that comes through here in Matthew chapter 25 and also in Mark chapter 13. So the application, just reviewing these, you had the thief breaking into the house. If the owner watched, he would have caught the thief. The wise servant in the verses with the wicked servant, the one who uh, labors according to the master's will, this one was saying, oh, the master's not going to come back. He's delaying his coming and he ate and drank with sinners and became drunk. That's... The wise servant, he is supposed to be diligent. And then there's the ten virgins, the ones who are prepared for the coming of the Lord. Then there's the talents, the wicked and lazy servant who is worthless out there. If you've been given a talent, use that talent, invest it. And by the way, did you notice he said, you should have put it in the bank, if nothing else. Now the bank, you know, it would have given you somewhere between 1% and 7%, depending on the economy. You would have got some kind of return. It wouldn't have been exactly what the master would have wanted, but it's still a return. And we give that back to God. Then there's the sheep and the goats, those who labor and those who don't. And by the way, these illustrations are for those who are saved and not saved. And that's how, one way we can determine, are we truly saved? And also servants who have been put in charge, and they are watching. And he even puts a servant at the door. You keep watch. You see if that master is, our master is coming. So that's what we're supposed to do. So my encouragement to you, especially at Christmas, you know, we're giving gifts and we're blessing others, and that's good. We did the, um, the youth group. I have three minutes. We did the youth group over there, and we did the gift exchange with the youth group. And I talked about how, well, sometimes in the past we pass it to the left. And sometimes we pass it to the right. You should have seen them like, no, it's mine. And, and then I talked about coveting and being willing to give gifts to others, something that you really desire, but you give it up for the sake of others. And they, they kind of thought, oh, right, you know, it's, oh, church youth group. You know, they, they explained to them what the word of God has to say. May the God bless you with wisdom and insight to be those who are sheep and wise servants, diligent and ever looking on the horizon for what God has in store so that we might be prepared, not only prepared to do the good works, but also to give a reason for the hope that lies within. This is our tasks as believers. And those who are believers are those who have asked Jesus to save them, to save all of us from our sins. And make him Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the illustrations you have given to us. These six stories, these six parables. Help us to be diligent. Help us to be willing to lay down our lives, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness. And is contained in your word. Help us to know it. And be doers of the word that we know. In Jesus' name, amen.